0: Welcome back. Hello. How are you doing? I'm okay.
1: How are you? Yeah.
0: You know, it's
1: 2016. Yeah. Countdown. Countdown. To the end, really. Although we said that last year, 2015. Everyone said it couldn't get any worse, but...
0: Yes. Um, I was chatting to my friend, a friend of the podcast, Sam, who's been on Sam Hadder, who's been on on the podcast before, and he was accusing us of never having done a cheery, happy episode and It's true we haven't, but there haven't really been much cheery, happy things in the news.
1: I know I guess we could do an episode on cat videos, but we'd probably find a way to make that depressing, yeah so.
0: So what are we talking about today? Not something cheery. Not unhappy. something
1: cheery, but I'm going to do less less explaining and more asking because this is something that I'm very very uneducated about. I'm
0: only slightly less uneducated about.
1: <laughs> We're talking about demonetization in India.
0: We are, which is what? So demonetization, this might and one of the reasons we are doing this episode is we thought this might be a a rare chance of us to for us to talk about something that you might not have heard because it hasn't really been in the news in Britain or America that much, really
1: yeah, and if it has, you probably haven't read much yes. about
0: it yeah so uh a couple of weeks uh maybe three weeks now uh, ago, the Indian government. On a Friday afternoon, pretty much overnight, announced that the two largest denominations of currency, so the 500 rupee and the 1000 rupee notes, are from that moment really no longer legal tender. Um, The idea was that people would have until the end of December to deposit whatever money they had, to exchange whatever money they had in banks so that they could get smaller notes instead and that in time and the government has started doing this rolling out a brand new two thousand rupee note uh, which will, will take the place of of these withdrawn denominations and this was presented as um, a, a way to combat the very high levels of corruption that that is sort of endemic almost throughout much of the Indian economy, principally through uh, tax evasion. So people hoarding money. There's there's a very very large black economy, where, where which is not taxed. And the idea is that by making all the money that people are hoarding suddenly worthless, you are therefore cutting out the um, the the black economy from sort of uh, and. Sweeping the rug off under its feet, really. Um, Hasn't really worked out the way they thought it would, I don't think. Uh, What has happened for the last three weeks is complete chaos. Banks do not have enough of the smaller denominations for people to exchange money. Don't really have enough of the larger denominations either. So banks are closing down. it, cash machines are closing because there just isn't enough cash. India is an economy where pretty much, you know, huge proportion of the economy is cash based. Very few people use cards or, or any other form of uh, payment, and s- people are dying. Like every day, there are more and more stories of people dying. People can't afford to buy food. They can't afford to buy medicines. Uh, a lot of health and education is is private sector, so people can't pay hospitals, can't pay for ambulances. Uh, even people who have had access to the larger two thousand rupee note, no one's accepting it because people don't have smaller notes to give back in change, um, and it is a complete mess. Uh, the the official rhetoric, if there if there is one. It talks about how sort of people are accepting the need for sacrifices in order to free the country of this scourge of corruption. It's sort of very collateral damagey in terms of its rhetoric. You know, some people are going to have to suffer for the for the greater good. And certainly, a large number of economists uh, have suggested that it is not going to do what it was intended to do anyway. And corruption. Pr- won't really be that affected by all of this complete chaos. That's in a nutshell what's been happening in India. It's absolutely absurd. It's insane. I mean, it's... I still can't quite get my head around why it hasn't made bigger news all over the world.
1: Because it's nuts. Like, it's, it's the kind of thing that you imagine is... You know, the heart of a futuristic dystopian novel where an almost farcical, tyrannical leader declares some crazy-ass holiday that all of a sudden everyone... Yeah, like, literally Modi said in a televised address, money is not money anymore. That's, like, we did an episode a long time ago, and I'm... Concerned, vaguely concerned, or you know, acutely concerned that it's all of it's going to come to pass. Where we compared Modi and Trump, yes, in a sort of hypothetical, theoretical way.
0: Which side are you concerned that it will come to pass? That Trump will become more like Modi, or Modi will become more like Trump?
1: I think what I'm concerned about is the snowball effect, yes, that that. That the growing legitimacy is going we're going to see more of more of this insanity in madness. Yeah. And it's it it's like that scene in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf says to Sauron When did you swap reason for madness? And the whole world has sort of gone, yeah, gone dark. And because money in India is not money anymore, that is just,
0: I mean, it's you know, I mean, we've mentioned in in passing, my my parents happen to be doctors, they happen to live and work in India, and they get paid in cash, they pay out the salaries of their staff in cash. Um the the patients pay the nursing home and hospital bills in cash. It's the it is not just the black economy that exists exists in cash. Pretty much most of the economy exists in cash. And there is I mean, you know, it's it's uh it's a sort of neoliberal cliche or even pre neoliberal cliche to talk about cash being sort of ephemeral, right? Uh, we think of cash as material, and it's not. It's it's a promise deferred. Famously, on every banknote in everywhere in the country, it says, "I promise to pay the bearer the sum of you know ten rupees or ten pounds or ten dollars or whatever." A, a, a ten pound note or a ten rupee note is a, is a promise that is constantly deferred. And suddenly, you have the from this point onwards, this this piece bit of paper is no longer a promise, except the whole economy is built around that promise the whole economy is built around the idea that you will honor this promise and give me 10 pounds worth of stuff
1: and there's a temporal element to this where the in the abstract sense the bill travels the note travels from person to person through Mm. transactions and it is it the trail of it is lost Mm. but when the promise itself can no longer be fulfilled suddenly the trail of transactions Mm. becomes very clear. It becomes really visible. So people who suddenly have no, you know, they've been saving for 10, 15, 20 Mm. years. They have been storing their cash under their mattress. All of a sudden, none of that cash is available to them. But when they go to work to try and restart their supply of money, their employer isn't necessarily able to continue to pay them anymore. And so every transaction is stalled at every point.
0: It, I've been thinking of this for, for the last few days. It reminds me of, that, um, of the scene in the film Goodbye Lenin. Yes. Uh, where, if you, if you haven't seen it, please do. It's a brilliant film. Yeah,
1: watch it this weekend.
0: Um, and Goodbye Lenin tells the story of the transition of East Germany just before the wall falls to just after, and um, this this family, where the, the son has to, for because the mother suffers from very very bad health, the son has to pretend to the mother that nothing has changed and the wall hasn't fallen, uh, and therefore the son can't ask the mother where she has hidden all their money, the money that they've saved up, and by the time the son realizes where the money is, the money is worthless because they've the deadline for when you could change East German money to West German money has expired. And that is what is happening in India, except in in the film, the entire economic social system of the country had to be transformed for us to get to that point where these bits of paper have suddenly just become bits of paper. They have They no longer have that promise attached to them. India has unilaterally voluntarily just decided these promises are now just bits of paper
1: and it's not like there has been a massive political change or upheaval or
0: indeed a a a, a massive economic crisis there is now yeah. <laughs> but you know a month ago there wasn't you know there were there was inflation and there was unemployment and inequality and poverty and all the all the you know standard
1: yeah the standard the story. standard
0: chronic problems, but there there wasn't anything acute that needed this um, and you know we've used the word insanity and madness a few times because we can't there doesn't seem to be any any sort of discourse that can talk that can cast this in any sort of rational, meaningful terms. It just doesn't seem to make any kind of sense. But because it has this sort of overarching nationalistic, we are saving the nation, we are saving the country's economy from corruption and we'll add so much more money to the tax exchequer because people will now have to pay tax on money they weren't paying tax on before. People have sort of accepted it. People are making do. They are queuing for days and days and days and you know, there's stories about villages where they've gone back to, like, bartering because there isn't enough no one has any currency that is worth anything but people aren't, like, you know, setting fire to banks people aren't rising up it's, you know it's the internalization, if you like, of the collateral damage discourse that says yes, I'm suffering at the moment, but if I accept my suffering, then I will have helped to make my country a better place which is I find that quite terrifying that be that the the ideology is so powerful
1: it is very dystopian isn't it yeah it's very um, Fahrenheit 451 the yeah. sort of the 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 burning books rationale mm. that the opposite of the opposite of of knowledge and thought mm. and um there's an element too. I mean, there's a there's a scale issue here when we talk about that the internalization of that ideology. Obviously, it's disrupted at the individual level, particularly among the very very poor, where there is no. There's no way for people to engage politically because there is no avenue for many of the people who are most affected to. Yeah, I mean, I, I to
0: fight. I think back. that's true, but I would have. I don't know if I was intuitively. I'd almost think that when there is no organized political mechanism for people to fight back that what would then end up in is destruction, you know, as people just setting fire to things. Um, but that hasn't happened either. There just hasn't, certainly, and we are both sort of at a move, I have family there and I'm, ch- I'm talking to them, but we aren't out there as it were. Yeah, we aren't living it. We aren't living reality. it. But I haven't seen that much evidence of anger,
1: Yes, and meanwhile, the United States now has developed a very robust. There's a very robust, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, mm. for example, um, has has a set of very specific aims mm. around police brutality, um, and that has developed as a mm. movement mm. that mm. that came out of you know a decentralized mm. sort of pattern of violence, you know, and it has developed a sort mm. of semi-coherent, mm. cohesive central argument and, um, organization. But I wonder if it, if this is specifically because, and you've, you've talked about this quite a lot, if, if the lack of sort of organized resistance comes because there, we don't have the terms or the words to describe what a resistance would look like because this is a peculiarly economic issue as opposed to a political issue. Or a social issue, where even as you you've said many times, the term demonetization to describe what's happened mm. does not tell us anything about mm. what's mm. happened. Mm. There is no way for us we skirt, or the terms themselves skirt around the the reality of.
0: And, and the I wonder, fact. I, I wonder if that explains why it has not been covered as in the news as much as it. it it might have. It, it sort of remind, and I probably used this quote before, Stuart Hall famously talks about words being evacuated of meaning. And outside economic textbooks, in, you know, on BBC News, on CNN, whatever, the word demonetization doesn't mean anything. And it, it doesn't seem to be a word that can be used to latch on to an image or an emotion or you know it doesn't have the the material tangible sense of i have no money left and i don't know how i'm going to buy food tomorrow it doesn't it doesn't have that association and therefore it isn't easy to see how you can resist what tools what vocabulary what discourse do you have to resist the power of these words which are enact their power by making themselves illegible, by making themselves incredible.
1: Yes. I mean, I think there's, what's interesting, um, I was showing you the, um, the Penguin India hmm. advertisement, Penguin the publishing house, yes. their, their social media online advertisement, uh, and they use the hashtag, hashtag demonetization. Which is becoming a thing. Mm. So in a sense, there is a, a re-inscribing yeah. of the term, but it's after the fact, yeah. after what's happened, mm. demonetization will come to mean that. Yes. But before, it yeah. didn't mean those things. It didn't mm. It didn't mean long queues at the ATM. It didn't mean closed banks. Mm. It didn't mean um, a new bartering, you know, fledgling bartering economy to, yeah. to make ends meet. Yeah. Now it does. Mm. Um, and it it probably will for quite some time. Mm. But there's something specifically about the economics mm. economic issues of this. I mean we found this with the Panama Papers as well. The outrage about the Panama Papers was so muted mm. and and it was as if people could not understand what exactly a tax haven means, like what
0: it is. I I think that's a very good point. And one of the things I've noticed on Facebook is, and the Penguin advert is is perhaps one example of this, is multiple efforts by individuals and institutions to construct memes and videos in order to try to find metaphors to tell the story.
1: Yeah, to make sense of it. To make
0: sense of it. So there was one, uh, someone tweeted, I think, that Uh, they said that there was a crocodile infested pond uh, and in order to get rid of the crocodiles we'll drain the pond. The crocodiles didn't die because crocodiles can live on land as well, but the little fishes did. And that's like the fable that explains what what has happened. Uh, There was another one with, um, which superimposed different subtitles on a Tom and Jerry video uh, Mm. where, um, you know, the the poor the poor guy always gets beaten up because they're you know being I think there was a a dog is tied to a kennel and uh, the dog can't can't run like attack and run as much as he wants to because he's tied up through this 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 leash of monetize of demonetization and um, the cat can can beat the dog up because yeah Panama papers and you know foreign currency, and illegal land, and gold, and, gold and all of that. Um, and again, there is this sort of odd, I mean, dialectic is so the wrong word, but this odd dynamic between cash being at once material and immaterial, but also the the ephemeral nature of these words, hiding something that is much more widespread, that is absolutely tangible, like people storing gold bullion in their houses or people having land in someone else's name, but they own it so they don't have to pay tax on it and they don't have to show that they own it. And all of that, the entire black economy, which is about much more than cash, and which will, which all of this will do nothing to tackle.
1: It reminds me a little bit of the Zach Goldsmith,
0: the jewelry adverts. And the jewelry
1: ads that we talked about. We yes, talked about the London Mayor. Mayor elections that that um, it's the that was Zach Goldsmith professing his support for yeah. this this perceived idea yeah. um, that Indians keep their money in family jewelry, um, and here in India, yeah. Yeah. there is a. a the sort of opposite, um, yet still completely inaccurate Mm. and convoluted story that's being told about how the economy works. I
0: think that is the... And I've I've ranted on about this multiple times, probably on, on previous episodes as well. It is so important and so unfortunate that so many of us, and I include myself absolutely... And me who do critical theory do not understand economics better because it, it seems that so many of the battles that we should be fighting from Panama papers uh, to demonetization, to the credit crunch, to, you know, um, banks overselling, you know, the housing mortgage subprime rates and on and on and on, you know, we've, We've spoken about brexit, we've spoken about trump, we've stayed up all night watching elections and watching stock markets and foreign currency crashes, and we talk about you know how are the markets reacting blah 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 but I certainly don't feel like I understand economics, and it's a huge gap in our skill set our our weapon to in order to fight back that we don't
1: it's partly by design, I think. Of course, there is an element um, of how the academy works, how funding works, um, to keep economists and critical theorists separate from one another. Certainly, geography is a really good example of a discipline that's destroying itself from within because there is such a divide between social scientists and arts and humanities. Scholars and that that divide is growing um, and it 's fed by by funding strategies and and how basically our funding and, and hiring and tenure works but i
0: mean it's it's Marxism and division of labor right it's the, it's the it's the way marx talks talks about how capitalism constructs division of labor in order to alienate the worker that you you, you get more and more specialties and subspecialties and subspecialties to the point where no worker has any sense of the overall Picture yeah, of system, production, the, the system, and that's what our disciplinary silos are doing uh, by separating these things out so drastically, so that if you are going to be successful in any one field, you know, I, if I, if I hope to get, I, I work in an English literature department. If I hope to get research funding to conduct research in literature, I can't, even if I had the tools, even if I had the knowledge. I can't submit a, a grant application to do economics i I won't get it you know it, it won't be it won't be seen as important valid referable research
1: and you won't be seen to be fundable exactly to do it, yes because you won't be seen to have the skills yes. to do it and for all the talk about interdisciplinary research it doesn't you know that's a, that to me is a cover, hmm. Hmm. but the economics question is is so fascinating because so few people do understand economics, and there are certain bits and pieces that I've been able to grasp over the last few years as I learn about it. Things like how the the na- a national deficit doesn't work in the way that the Tories have made it sound that's like it not works.
0: Like my credit card debt.
1: Yes that and that um you know the the fact that it's mind boggling that a national government, a state, can have a credit rating that's determined by an organization that is not governed by the state at all. I mean these things are incomprehensible for those of us who use structuralist and post structuralist explanations for how the world works. this is just. It is beyond our discursive realms in a way because it defies all logic and yet it professes to be the most basic central logic tying the entire global system together. That is...
0: Yes, and, and it uses... It, it and its discourse, discourse, like all discourses, uses... Tools from our side of the divide as it were you know it uses words and changes words and changes you know deploys words with new meaning like you know subprime and credit crunch and demonetization but it is so much harder for us to cross over and use their tools against them yes This, this tenuous them whoever this them
1: Oh, it's not really a them, yeah. is it? It's it's, a, it's, it's institutions, it. yeah. it's structures. Yeah, I mean, we call it the market. I guess yeah. is how. Yeah, and the the financial sector, but yeah. it's it is fascinating. I think too. There's something because British people and, and Americans in particular yeah. don't necessarily use cash in the way that Indians use yes. cash. Yeah. And so there's something really beyond the fact that the fact that you have a note for a thousand units Yes. is Well we don't anymore. It's two thousand units now. Yes. And the I mean how much is that in term according to the exchange rate?
0: Uh, two thousand uh, rupees is uh, just under twenty pounds.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. So basically it's sort just, of the equivalent so, of them what, taking dollars the the 10 pound note yeah. out of circulation yes. yeah all of a sudden
0: okay. yeah
1: That is, it is just mind-boggling
0: yeah I mean it's it's it, it's if anything it's more than that because the exchange rate is like you know 20, 20 pounds to two thousand rupees roughly but two thousand rupees will buy you more in India than 20 pounds will buy you in Britain yeah Um so there is, you know, this this other aspect of economics that I find so hard to get my head around. As someone like yourself who spends time oscillating between countries, so exchange rates matter to us, right? We have, you know, like <laughs> anyone who has any debt in America and lives in Britain suddenly after Brexit realizes their debt is, you know, two and a half times more what they thought thought it was. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so on, but. The, the difference between what the two currencies are worth compared to each other and how much stuff you can buy with one currency in one place.
1: They call that purchasing power.
0: Yes. I
1: know that term. Yes.
0: Which, and the relation between the two, you know, the, the nominal currency value and, and its purchasing value, is impenetrable to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean it is for for deconstructionist. Yeah. The economy is just the easiest thing to deconstruct because the whole thing is based on trust in a system that no one understands.
0: Yeah, except the absolutely except that the trust and the promise are set up as base units. In order to cover up things that are material, so you know, like if you think of the sort of the options market, the options market is so often based around stuff. Like you know, you can buy options in in rice, or you can buy options in wheat or soya or gold or whatever. So the 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 rhetoric is absolutely about the intangible, impossible to define words. But they're hiding in many cases, like the demonetization issue, where you're focusing on the cash, where actually what is happening is is land and gold and, you know, property. And offshore. And offshore. Overseas. Overseas money, which is, I'm using scare quotes here, which obviously you can't see. It's sort of money, right? It's it's numbers on, on a spreadsheet.
1: Yeah, it's capital.
0: Yeah. I mean you know I, cards on the table my my knowledge of economics is so ec- economics is so poor that I still can't I can I can sort of intellectually see it but on I really can't quite get my head around why the government can't just print more money you know I, I, I can I can I know that I know on a, on an you know there's a serious point there I think intellectually I know why that's a problem But intuitively, just sort of... The idea that printing more money doesn't add value to an economy is something that I find difficult to get my head around.
1: Yeah. I feel like the economy... When I studied economics, I I thought that I would go much further than I did. Um, It took me a semester to decide that um, it was not one of my strong skills. And then... But the way that I could I could visualize it for myself was just an, an infinite number of nets and, like, webs overlaid onto each other that construct invisible connections between people, products, services, and space that I just will never see. Yeah. That I will never be able to imagine it yeah. and the models i guess are there to allow hmm. f- for the calculating of the web
0: yeah the so is foucault wrong where he say, when he says where there is power there is resistance i mean is there resistance here can i mean how do we conceptualize resistance to this to the market
1: well, you had a, had a, an acquaintance on social media say yeah. that they would stop using cards. Yeah, they would stop using plastic to pay for things. Yeah, um, which is a a, a sort of middle class resistance, yeah. isn't it? Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, the, people are are resisting by finding alternative ways of coping, like bartering. I think in this moment bartering is resistance.
1: Yeah, I think bartering and it's not necessarily resistance in the in the sense of you know it's active counterconduct. It is yes. just what needs to Coping be done strategy. in order to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And rebuilding a bartering economy is really a very difficult task mm. because mm. how do you you know you have to think through what do yeah. I need what does everyone else um, need what yeah. can I provide that no one else can provide yeah. Yeah. what you know you, you it's a complete restructuring of a village it's also system. a communal
0: restructuring right which is different from saying I'm no, no longer going to use plastic that's an individual response bartering can't be an individual response bartering has to be a collective response it might be a small collective but it's still a collective
1: yeah and it requires negotiation yes. in a way yeah. um, so it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't work on the same level Hmm. or in the same way. Hmm. I think in terms of economic resistance, it is the most difficult thing to resist Hmm. because you need money to buy food and you, you know, at Hmm. at a certain point you, you can't survive. Um, and which is what's happened.
0: Yeah. And there's no, there's no outside space either, really. You know, you you can't sort of, you you can't, I mean, being self-sufficient and off the grid in money terms is... The people
1: who do that have so much privilege. privilege,
0: exactly, yes.
1: That you rely, you then, you start to trade on social capital in order to make that happen for yourself. And it's just, I find, as you often say, it's impossible to be an ethical consumer Mm -hmm. Because you can't ever see every point yeah. along the system.. Yeah. I'm not sure that Foucault was wrong, mm. but I think that he did not fully theorize, and perhaps this is a timing thing. he mm. died. He died yeah. at the start of a certain neoliberalism yeah. and he was talking talking about it at the time that he yeah. died. He did not fully theorize how the economy works.
0: We're not going to go into the debate about Foucault neoliberalism, that's are we?
1: Well, it's the whole final four years of his life.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, An unfinished business.
0: Just remember, article after article, about was Foucault really a neoliberal?
1: Maybe next week.
0: (laughs) That can be the promise deferred.
1: Yeah, the promise deferred.
0: Yeah, Yeah. um i think there's the, i mean we i i use the word collateral damage in passing I, I think there's there's more to be said about how it, is the concept of collateral damage a distinctively neoliberal concept is there a connection between neoliberalism and the and making it okay for to, to discursively separate out the consequences as collateral damage.
1: I think rather than neoliberalism, this is liberalism. Yeah. This is li- this is a um, a stop along the way yeah. on liberalism's journey. Yeah. Um because it very much is in the the spirit of John Stuart Mill, yeah. Jeremy Bentham, the utilitarian idea of greater good. The concept of the greater good is one that underpins the liberal Mm. the development of the liberal economy in the 18th and 19th centuries. And so this is a kind of post enlightenment Mm. liberal notion that was always countered by alternative views. Um, But I think this is an older this is more fundamental
0: does the word change of the word the you know the birth of the word if you like and you know famously post Iraq that does that change the way we think about the sacrifices needed for the greater good
1: I mean it's kind of a meaningless you know mm. we're talking about meaningless words mm. it's kind of a meaningless phrase mm. Which, you know, was a, a Bush administration specialty. Hmm. Um, they were very, very good at creating convoluted terms and yes. phrases for things in order to justify... The known
0: unknowns and the unknowns. Yes. yes!
1: Oh, Rumsfeld. Yes. I mean, that I, I use that phrase all the time. Because it is... That was a Bush administration tactic, yeah. a strategy. And um, towards the end, of course, it undermined people's trust in the Bush administration. He yeah. finished his his second term with one of the lowest approval ratings ever of, of of like anyone ever like not just presidents yeah, 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 yeah. but like yeah. anyone yeah and and i do wonder how much the sort of vagueness of our
0: yeah. of
1: our terms now and the the convoluted nature of how how the financial markets yeah. work um, and how the currency markets work will allow us to continue to talk about how the economy works. Yeah. It will continue, but in a way that we won't be able to describe. The collateral damage idea is, I mean, I think it is the, the kind of meeting of the the Bush political strategy and 19th century utilitarianism
0: And you know, contemporary economics.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was often a, a, you know, an idea that was mobilized by colonial governments. Certainly was used at various points to talk about partition.
0: Yeah. There's a cheery thought. Yeah.
1: I think this episode got more depressing than we thought that it was gonna be.
0: I episodes do that, don't they?
1: <laughs> Sam, yeah, Sam.
0: Sam has a point.
1: Has a point about that. Yes.
0: Um, I think we're done.
1: Yeah, if you know more, which I'm sure many of you yeah. do, let us know. Post uh, links and post
0: things. Post links and comments and arguments and discussions. Look forward to hear from you. Um, if you like us, then, or if you don't like us, then rate us, review us on iTunes. If you get your podcast from iTunes, um, tweet at us, and see you next time. Bye! Bye! We hope you enjoyed this episode.
1: I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick.
0: And I have been Anindya Richaudry.
1: You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz.
0: And me at Dr. Anindia R.
1: Our music was provided by the agrarians, and this has been State of the
0: Theory. Thank you.